Natural Show, brought to you by Noel's Naturals, all natural products that really work. And now, please welcome entrepreneur, wife, homeschooling mom of four, and founder of the Noel's Naturals brand of products, your host, Noel Talley. Welcome to the show today. Thanks for joining us for what will surely be a very eye-opening and in a lot of ways mind-blowing conversation today with Dr. Jessica Petros. Dr. Jess, as her followers like to refer to her, has a passion for uncovering the mystery behind chronic illness, whether that be stealth infections, heavy metals, stress, trauma, or other environmental toxicities. She left her position as a board-certified internal medicine hospitalist practicing conventional medicine to pursue functional medicine in order to better serve her patients. After leaving her hospitalist position, she became trained in Gerson therapy, functional medicine, nutrigenomics, and ozone therapy. She quickly discovered that 90% of disease is a result of lifestyle, diet, and environment. She discovered that the body has all the answers to heal and reverse chronic disease by getting to the real root cause answers for why the body might be malfunctioning. Her philosophy embraces that health encompasses the whole patient mind, body, and spirit, and she is known for her ability to help identify the root cause of illness most often traced back to hidden stealth infections like Lyme, parasites, and mold. So I'm just really thrilled for you to be a part of the conversation today. Here we go. Okay, so I'm just so excited to have Dr. Jess with us today. It's just such a privilege to speak with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. So tell me about how you came to that decision to walk away from conventional medicine and just take a more holistic approach to healthcare. Sure. So it was not an easy ride. Um, I actually was forced to kind of look at a different perspective when I went through a really painful divorce back in 2013. And because of it, it made me bounce across the country from the Midwest to the West Coast. And um, I really got a new sort of perspective and from the collective energy, because, you know, you move across the country, there's just a a little bit different way people do things. And um, I hadn't experienced that before. So I started to get into functional medicine really when... I'd been in the hospital as a hospitalist working for almost seven years. And I, at this point in time was on the West coast, but not enjoying it. And that's because I had really seen more holistic and integrative information published online and on social media. And I had been researching it myself and seeing that a lot of it wasn't bogus. And, um, really at this time still working in the hospital is sort of tugging at my heartstrings. I didn't really want to be doing it anymore. It didn't feel aligned with where I wanted to be going and who I wanted to be. And so I just started to speak out in the hospital just to see what would happen. Maybe these people, you know, didn't know. So I really got reprimanded a lot. You know, I was told to quit being a disruptive physician in the cafeteria when I complained about the food they were feeding people. Um, I, you know, would write in the chart that this person had been on certain medication for six years and this was beyond the the safety profile since the package insert said six months to one year. And then, you know, the doctor who was their outpatient doctor who put them on the medication would call and complain about me to the hospitalist group. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So I was sort of, you know, um, it was rough because I was still in the mindset that if, people actually knew the truth, they, they wouldn't be doing the things they were doing. 
you know, you know better, you do better. But it was a really harsh awakening because that was, that's not what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've found that so much in my own life and, and really just learning that not everybody wants to know or some people, or even if they do know, they just kind of would rather do whatever's easiest or whatever's most profitable and mm-hmm. really just don't want to wake up. It's so true, right? It really, it really is so true. And it's sometimes it's just easier not to have accountability or responsibility for some people this time around, you know? Um, and it's none of my business what they do. I just, I just hate it. You you hate to watch anyone suffer and make things harder on anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. so. So I love so much how you talk about being your own best doctor because I feel like I tell people this all the time. I'm always, you know, when I was a child birth educator and a doula, I was always, you know, telling my clients, if you do, you know, I did a lot of out of hospital births and, you know, I would always say, if you do end up in the hospital for whatever reason, if there's a complication, you have to be an advocate for yourself, you know, because there's always a time and a place. um, (laughs) Let me rephrase that. There is sometimes a time and a place for conventional medical practices. But Mm -hmm. for the most part, we have to be the ones in the driver's seat of our own health. I mean, no doctor is going to know as much about our own bodies as we do. Yeah, that's true. And a lot of, especially OBGYN is so standardized and they turn everything into protocols. That's not necessarily right for everyone. Right. And um, I don't know. I just feel like women have been birthing children since the dawn of time. So it wasn't always considered a medical condition. Right. Right. A medical condition now. It's so odd. Yeah. And yeah. You, you know, if you go back and listen to my my Better Balanced at Health episode, we talked about some of my story with just really mm-hmm. becoming disillusioned with allopathic medical care because, you know, I was struggling with recurrent pregnancy loss. I was having miscarriage after miscarriage. And oh they gosh. just had they had no answers for me. And and no one ever asked about my lifestyle. No one ever asked about my diet or, you know, what other things I had going on. They just, you know, ran all these different tests, came up with no answers. And I just was like, I've got to find something different. And that's when I really turned to the natural world and really just started working on building a more healthy terrain. And I figured out on my own that I had low progesterone just by researching and knowing about my own body and what I was experiencing. And so I made the choice on my own without a doctor telling me to do it, to, you know, get natural bioidentical progesterone cream and mm-hmm. you know, diet and lifestyle changes and healed my own body and had four healthy pregnancies by... Oh, wow. <laughs> And that, it is amazing because, you know, it should have been a doctor. It should have been a, that's, that's kind of what I feel like everyone thinks is like, it should have been a doctor who helped me heal. It should have been someone who went to school and had all the answers. Why, why didn't they have the answers? Well, you know, when you pay so much into, you know, monthly insurance or some sort of plan and then there's no answers, it's, it can get, I can see how people are starting to like get frustrated just and wake up just from that. Yeah. So how, how would you say you become your own best doctor? Like for the person who doesn't feel, you know, empowered to be an advocate for their own health, where would they start? You know, it's really about education in my opinion. And, and I have to say cautiously here, not all education is the same education. There's a lot of mainstream education out there that's been pumped out by a lot of the universities and a lot of the 
institutions and it's not necessarily, I'm talking about a little bit deeper, sort of the stuff you're talking about, Noel, where you had to figure out your own health and you had to go deeper than, you know, Journal of American Medical Association <laughs> or, you know, some of maybe, you know, you had to research yourself on some of the published articles on PubMed. Maybe you had to go into holistic and integrative websites and read some things that weren't on the mainstream necessarily because you needed a different perspective. And I urge people to go do that because you may be reading things on certain websites that are written with conflicts of interest or money behind closed doors. And that's not always relevant. You always have to do your own research and don't just believe what I say or what Noelle says. Go do your homework. You know, really, we read those alternative perspectives that you shied away from. That's how we grow and expand our minds. And when it's really true, you might, it might resonate with you a little more. You may say, this makes sense to my logical mind and your body should make sense to your logical mind. And I really love an empowering viewpoint. So instead of saying, why is my body turning on me? You can reframe that. You can say, my body is sort of like a car. And when something goes wrong, a check engine light comes on to warn me. And just reframing that plus the labels you've been given, that is just a constellation of symptoms. Your body's screaming that it needs a little help. That's it. And that's a more positive way and perspective to look at your body than some of the conventional ways the system has taught us to view things. So what would you say, you know, as a physician, you know, I know there were so many times before I found a provider who I could really trust who I knew would listen to me, who I knew had the same philosophy on healthcare that I did. When I was with a conventional provider, when I came in with those questions and when I had done my own research and I said, hey, here's what I've seen. What do you think about this? I was a nuisance. I was disruptive. I was a disruptive patient. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't that suck. It's the truth. So what do you say to people when, you know, they feel like they're not being heard? I mean, and like you said, in, in OB, I mean, this is so huge when a woman's in labor and you know, she's being bullied by her doctor to make decisions that she's not comfortable with. How, how do yeah. we, how do we change that? You know, it's sort of a insidious energy that's infiltrated the system and it's very subtle energy taught throughout, I think the beginning of medical school to say, to say that we know more to not trust the patient, what they're saying about their body, to trust more of the system and um, the physiology and the drugs we're taught. And it, it really needs to be an awareness doctors have that that energy is there first and foremost. And you're right. You know, you could do your own research and then you go in there and doctors have a set amount of time they have with you, right? That to like six to eight minutes on average, which is a shame. And um, so if you're asking questions or questioning the status quo, you're sort of interrupting their flow of time, right? Unfortunately, that's this hard truth here. And so if you really are running into that with your physician, Know that there are other systems out there where a person will sit with you for an entire hour to ask you questions about your entire history and exposures and antecedents and triggers. And you don't have to sit and accept that six to eight minute time frame if it's not serving you anymore. You just have to do a little bit of proactive legwork to, you know, Google functional medicine in your area and see what comes up maybe. Yeah. Or duck, duck, go. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. So let's talk a little bit about terrain, because I feel like that's so important to understanding just holistic health. Um, Explain kind of what that means. For sure. So the terrain is the general vague term for uh, your environment and and your body. 
and how it's how your clean your body is or the terrain is. And terrain theory is the general theory that disease comes from the body being poisoned because we are, you know, the EPA admits there are over 80,000 chemicals just unregulated in our water supply. That's water alone. We have, we're not counting air. We're not counting soil, you know, the, the, everything we put in our mouth, all these things. So there's a bunch of unregulated toxicities out there that can enter our body through, through breathing it in, through inhalation, through absorption, through skin, through oral route, by eating it, drinking it. And so really, what if it's that our body's immune systems are weakened because of these said toxins, endocrine disruptors and things, and that the pathogens are a natural progression of the, what our bodies are trying to fight off. For example, bacteria are the great decomposers and mold eats bacteria. So it's this very delicate ecosystem that is then interrupted when we're full of toxins. We attract bacteria to digest these things. And so that's why people get so many infections and get so sick is because their terrain is quote unquote dirty. So what would you say would be the most important toxins to avoid? That's a great question. Oh gosh. So I'll, I'll give you probably the popular ones that everyone's heard of, but like I said, there's so many, I mean, I bet there's many that we don't even know how bad they are, or, yeah. you know, really. So, you know, the everyone knows about plastics and they've probably heard about BPA and the alternatives, BPF, BPS really aren't much better. And these are pretty potent endocrine disruptors. Some other ones are things like Teflon, which is made by DuPont, um, flame retardants, which they often spray on conventional furniture at most furniture stores, mattresses, things like that. And these are things that have a really hard time or if ever break down. Um, I would say heavy metals, which are found organically and or inorganically in the environment and really have the potential, just like some of these plastics and things, to get in the middle of biochemical reactions in the body and stop energy production and things like that. Um, I would say besides heavy metals, there's things like styrene. There's a lot of toxic things in building materials and new house materials, things like that. Um, and, you know, generally the FDA puts a generally recognized as safe label on that, but we're not counting the cumulative effects of all these chemicals, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the main, main ones, I would say. So um, talk about heavy metals. How do, how do those get into our system? Well, there's many different routes. For example, mercury or arsenic, for example, you can actually breathe those in. You can also orally ingest them as well, but you can breathe them in too, which is why mercury amalgams are a problem. They can leach and turn into a gas, which we inhale. There's also, as I mentioned, the oral route for some of them. Some can be absorbed in the skin too. And many we just drink in the water supply or eat. So what about like, so you said like building supplies and things like that. Mm -hmm. What do you do about that? You already are in a home, you know, it, know. it's been built with what it's been built with. What, what can we do? It stinks because a lot of these homes exacerbate the problem because they're energy efficient or airtight. And so you have these sort of stag the stagnant air movement with a lot of toxicities that float around and hang in the air, like volatile organic compounds that can really damage DNA. And it sucks because we're going to have to have a real revolution of society, including building and construction in society yeah. too. And um, that means really considering drywall, which really, when that gets wet, it never really dries. And gypsum, the cellulose content in drywall or gypsum is attracts a lot of mold growth. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's talk about mold because I know that's kind of one of your favorite subjects. Yeah, <laughs> or, least, or least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so so you can be doing all the right things, you know, avoiding toxins, eating, you know, organic foods and, you know, using clean skin care and then, you know, you can still be exposed to environmental toxins like mycotoxins and mold and pathogens. What can we do? Yes. Um, and, and I don't want anyone to feel helpless here because no one's helpless. And all you have to have is awareness on this. So if you're afraid you're living in mold or you're exposed to mold, first of all, most people who are sensitive are going to have symptoms, right? The shortness of breath, brain fog, fatigue, stuff like that. Um, difficulty holding their urine. If you are you in mold or you, and you confirm it, you may want to think about moving out or re remediating if you can. Um, but there's lots of different ways that you can help yourself. You can get a great air filter, something like a Hyper HEPA or HEPA Plus with a charcoal or carbon filter to pick up uh, some VOCs and some of the VOCs would be great for most people. Um, you can really look and see if, um, you know, mold cleaning products and remediation companies sent things like EC3, borax, white vinegar are great ways to clean it safely. Um, but if you're super sensitive, you really want to get out of the mold, honestly. And then look, looking into opening drainage pathways. Because if you think about people that are sick, a lot of them are sick because they have things stuck inside them that don't belong there, such as mold spores. Mm. And so we have to have something molecularly sticky to pull them out. And then we have to have people being able to use the bathroom regularly, to sweat properly, um, to, to be able to release things that don't belong there. And then, you know, when I talk about pulling things out, I'm talking about a toxin binder, which really that's helpful. If you can do a bind and a sweat process, taking a binder and then hopping in a sauna is a great way to remove some heavy metals and some of the plastic byproducts too. That's really encouraging because sometimes it can feel a little bit daunting. Like there's all these poisons everywhere and <laughs> it's in our air and it's in our water and it's in our walls. You know, it's good to know that there are some tools that we have to detox these. Um, what about EMFs? How does that come into play with all of this? There are some people who are really, really sensitive to EMFs, honestly. Um, and you've got to think these, these can create a lot of invisible electrostatic smog that's just very um, not abnormal or not native to the body. And some people's systems are starting to react to this. They start to feel kind of like their arms, they're going numb. They have the pins and needles sensations on their extremities or when they hold their phone. This is very common. Brain fog and fatigue occur with this. And so there are ways you guys want to look at um, harmonizing these frequencies. You don't want to block frequencies, but you do want to harmonize them. So things like a Faraday cage on your smart meter, which most people have automatically installed in their homes now. Um, something like, um, you know, they even make little EMF stickers to go on your phone, really turning your Wi-Fi off at night. It's, I know it sounds super old school, but hardwiring your computer, um, with a cord actually, rather than having the Wi-Fi on all the time is a great way to help, um, mitigate in your own home, you know, and then there are crazy ways you can go about it too. So things like, um, they're actually EMF blocking paint and things like that. Yeah. So we actually, so we sell a, a number of Shungite products because yes. Shungite can be really helpful and we yes. have Shungite stickers, but I know I've heard of some people taking Shungite powder and at, mixing that into their paint and painting that underneath, like in with the, the primer and painting it underneath whatever color they're going to put on their wall, which is That's pretty creative. Rad. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How do they get it? They crush it? 
It, well, you can get powder. So oh, we, powder. we don't have that available, but our, you know, we, um, cool. we get the shungite directly from the mine in Karelia. That's um, so cool. And they have like all this extra dust laying around. So they sell just like pounds and pounds of, of shungite powder that you can use for, I know people feed it to their plants. They put it in their water with their plants and it like helps huh. the plants grow better. And it's really interesting. That is so cool. Now I'm, I've got to go get some shungite, I think. Yeah. Shungite is <laughs> super fun. It's, it's interesting <laughs> because it has an energy to it as well. And I noticed I, I was wearing a bracelet at night and it was giving me crazy dreams at night because it, it does, you know, definitely has something to do with energy for sure. You can tell my son actually was wearing a necklace. He, when he works on his iPad, we homeschool and and he does some, some schooling on his iPad and I have him wear a Shungite necklace and he had slept in it and he kept having weird dreams. And I'm like, Oh gosh, you're sleeping in your Shungite necklace. Oh, that's so funny. Wow. It's interesting because you can definitely tell it's doing something. It's obviously interacting with the energy in some way. Yeah. You know, it's, I think Shungite has different, like high, different carbon bonds in it. You yes. Know, carbon's basically the structure of life. So it, it makes sense that that would resonate with a lot of people. Yeah, it's interesting. Some people are more sensitive to it than others. I'm definitely really sensitive you to it. You and your son. Yeah. Well, and he's we're both empaths too, so we're very sensitive to other people's energies and I think that probably comes into play with it. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Very, very cool. I know. There, I could geek out over a lot of stuff like <laughs> that, but that's a whole different rabbit hole. I, I want to talk about parasites because I've sure. heard you talk about um, how mold and parasites can actually play a role with mental health. Explain that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately for most people, um, I would say the majority of mental illness has some sort of root cause that science hasn't found or caught up with yet. And sometimes it is stuff like this, like what we're talking about, parasites and mold. In fact, if you look on, um, if you would duck, duck, oh, not Google, but you duck, duck, duck <laughs> <laughs> mold and um, mental illness or depression in CBI, you'll see a number of studies come up. Um, and they were shocked in 2007 when there was this study linking household mold to major depressive disorder. They were shocked. It would, they called it a groundbreaking study. So this is a relatively new science people are finding out about. But the way I make it make sense to people is you've got to think if, if, you're, if you have a pet, let's say a pet dog, who is a sweet, loving dog, never bit anyone, and overnight she's snapping at the family members and under the bed growling, you, you, you think, oh, this, this dog has an infection. You don't think this dog has, um, let's go take it and put it on Prozac because it must have a mental problem. Right. It, it's the mental issue, the lack of the different personality is coming from some sort of pathogenic invasion or infection. And so that's what we need to kind of frame our brains around when we look at humans too in the same fashion. And um, I would say with parasites, there's a lot of them that can get into the, the central nervous system. They, um, they don't just stay in the gut, which a lot of people think. Um, and so we, they, there have even documented cases of people thinking they had a brain tumor and they open it up and it's actually a parasitic abscess. Wow. Yeah. So some people deal with legitimate mental illness, but I feel like a lot of us deal with anxiety and, you know, depression. I feel like that's so much more common. Yeah. What exactly is happening with parasites that's, that can cause that? So with parasites, some of them produce byproducts that really are irritating to the brain tissue. 
Um, and that's what a lot of times people don't realize anxiety and depression is. It's not necessarily a neurotransmitter imbalance all the time. In fact, that theory is an old theory in psychiatry. What we're finding is a lot of this can be transient inflammation that causes a problem with brain fog and thinking clearly and all that stuff. And if you have something inside the body that doesn't belong there, especially a living thing that steals your energy, it steals your food, all the things, you're probably going to be pretty fatigued. And so a lot of people's main complaint is fatigue, joint pains because of the toxic byproducts. These things are producing inflammation throughout the body. So the body sees the problem but can't rid itself of it, right? So a lot of this is inflammatory based. So, I mean, do you think that this can also pertain to children? Oh, absolutely. I think a lot of, you know, if you've ever heard of PANS or PANDAS, which is the, which is the pediatric autoimmune neuro condition, usually if it's PANDAS, it's um, linked to strap. If it's PANS, that can be linked to anything from shots to infections like parasites to, you know, all kinds of viral illnesses, all kinds of things, and just toxicity overload. And these kids have tics, they have spontaneous outbursts, um, their personality really deteriorates overnight. And this is due to pathogens. It's so crazy. what's the difference between a pathogen and a parasite and even a virus? So pathogens is just a general term, like microbes, I would say. Um, when I say pathogens, I guess it infers a little bit more of a description of um, something that's invading you, right, and tend to take over than a microbe does. Um, and then parasites fit into that definition of all pathogens or microbes. They're just a specific type. And then what was the other one? You asked about viruses. Yeah. Um, viruses also specific type of pathogen or microbe. Okay. So I've heard like varying opinions about viruses, especially in the Turing theory world. <laughs> Where do you fall on that? Because I, my biggest question is communicable diseases and, and contagion. Correct. So, you know, we really don't know where infectivity comes from. In fact, there were some studies in the 1918 Spanish flu where people who were sick with this deadly flu would cough and spit in other people's faces and no one in the entire study got sick. And so they concluded that it wasn't infective in that way, actually. And so now, even in modern virology, the basis of cell culture, in my opinion, um, is lacking and needs more well-rounded and sufficient studies. We have people who are kind of resistant to this as well. There is a um, chemist, Stefan Lanka, who claims that he repeated some objective studies in cell culture. And what I'm talking about is that every single virus that we have discovered or named or anything comes from cell culture. They don't get it from sick people's fluids alone, ever. Ever. This is what the Spanish flu is about. They get it from cell culture. What does that mean? That means they take oropharyngeal or nasopharyngeal secretions to sick people's fluids. They then take it and they put it in the petri dish, the cell in the petri dish. They then add amphotericin B, which is an antifungal, versus gentamicin, which is an antibiotic. They then lower the metabolism. They'll add proteases, which break down proteins. They um, pretty much nuke the cell. And then what comes out is, quote unquote, a virus. Stefan Lanka claims he did a control experiment where he did the exact same thing, quote-unquote, nuking the cell, added antibiotics, lowered the metabolism, added proteases, but did not include sick people's fluids and still got the viruses to pop out. So, it, you know, if this is all true, then we need some more st objective studies here. And it seems that the whole basis of virology has started off on the wrong foot, if that's the case. So I'm not saying that viruses don't exist. I'm saying that their, their studies are lacking. Wow. 
That's so fascinating to me. I, you know, I'm a homeschool girl. So this kind of stuff is just like, I'm just absolutely just delighted by this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, me too. It's fascinating, right? Yeah. Even to ponder that perhaps, you know, when I hear things like this, that, you know, my brain goes to, you know, things like religious texts that say, in heaven, there will be no disease. Is it just a perspective change and that we've been lied to? We're all just poison. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that in heaven there will be no, uh, you know, pesticides and mold and all of those things will be done away with. Yeah. You know, exactly. I, how can we not think that those don't contribute? Pesticides. Yeah. I forgot to mention them earlier. Potent endocrine disruptors. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Yeah. They're making everyone sick. And it's not just in our food. I mean, that's that's getting into the water runoff and it's in our showers and it's in our baths and it's, you know, in our drinking water. I'm such a, I'm a water snob. I, <laughs> I, I love was, that. <laughs> I, was some, I was somewhere yesterday and I was, uh, I was like, where's the filtered water to refill this coffee pot? And they're like, oh, uh, we don't have a water filter. And I'm like, oh, dear Jesus, help me. <laughs> got to leave now. Yeah. <laughs> Could have to buy them a water filter, gift it to them. <laughs> love so, it. I want to talk briefly about pine needle extract um, because sure. that's actually how we ended up getting connected because you started recommending this product to your patients and followers. And just a disclaimer, you know, we as a company don't make any medical claims about any of our products. We just sell products that our customers are asking for. And, you know, over the last year with different changes that we've seen with certain medical conditions um, that we will not name and then certain medical decisions and treatments that people are making um, and maybe think everyone should be making, we start, started to see a huge need in the community for people asking for pine needle products. And, and a lot of people are, are saying that their care providers are actually recommending this. So, mm -hmm. so you as a medical doctor, why are you recommending this product? Well, it's something great even without any viruses in, around, right? Even by itself, it's just got a ton of antioxidants like vitamin A, vitamin C. And what people don't realize is we are, a lot of us are vitamin A deficient. We all know about vitamin C or D. We don't think about vitamin A. Vitamin A is actually what fights viruses off. Plus, you know, different leukemias, immune cancers, things like it. it's very important to run different reactions in the body. Um, so that's, there's also a compound called ceramin in pine needles. And this is an interesting compound. It actually is used to treat parasites that we talked about earlier. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's really a powerful antiviral. And interestingly enough, speaking about some of the other things going around, it's helpful for blood clots and even some DNA damage and mitochondrial stuff. So, you know, I love all of that. And then just pine needle tea and tinctures in general, pine needles, um, which I think you guys do the white pine, right? We do, yeah, the, yeah. East, the pine astrobus. Yes, I love that. So perfect. It can be even in Native Americans, use stuff like that as like a decongestant and expectorant. Really helps with respiratory health um, and, and flu-like illnesses. Really important to get mucus and congestion out of the lungs. Um, and like I mentioned, helps the mitochondria. So you may even help, it may even help with post-exertional fatigue after workouts. Okay. And what about the thing that we're not going to talk about? <laughs> yeah, I kind of tried to weave it in there. Like blood clots and respiratory health Yeah, and, 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 and spike proteins. These are all very important because it's helping with inflammation, right? So explain to me 
kind of what the spike protein is and what that means and does it jump on people? How does how does this happen? Oh gosh, this is such a loaded question. Um, I think <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, it's okay. So in virology, which we don't even know how right virology is, <laughs> the spike protein it, it's a protein, like I say, and it forms um, a structure known as a spike, basically that comes from the surface of of the, of the virus. And they're usually just glycoproteins that they're using in the vaccine as an antigen to set the body off, basically, to make antibodies, right? And it, it, it is very pro-inflammatory. It is. I'll just be straight up. Um, it's telling the body there's a foreign intruder. Um, there's something that should not be there. Make an army against it. And so if it's not destroyed, right, you can continually kind of be inflamed. And I have a personal story about this because my own father went and got the shots at the end of August and lied to all of us. And my mom couldn't speak, comprehend, or read for three weeks after that. Wow. And um, it was due to this and the transmission. And I will not say shedding because there's no live virus in this shot. But if people call you anti-scientific and crazy, I've heard so many people say, I've been around people who've had it and I can't, I have all these, this dizziness and shortness of breath and my period goes crazy, right? And so rather than gaslight these people, why don't we say, oh, this is a new product that's never been on the market and used on humans before. We don't really fully understand the mechanism of action. Yeah, so this is, People who have not even gotten Correct. the shot. Correct. <laughs> wow. I mean, we've definitely, I've talked to a lot of people personally, and even I've experienced, um, you know, headaches and cycle disruptions and, you know, all kinds of different things, which is just bewildering to me for the people who have made their own personal medical decisions who, you know, for whatever reason, didn't want to, you know, take that. Um, you know, that's the thing that we, you know, I always advocate is, you know, make the choices that are right for you and respect other people to make the, de the decisions that are right for them. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it gets kind of fuzzy when we start to say, no, what's right for me is what's right for everybody. And you are a horrible person if you don't believe the way I do. Right. And it's been such a div divisive tool, all of this. Seriously, people are so against each other. I mean, in families even. Yeah. So, and that kind of brings me to something else I wanted to touch on, because I know you've talked about how trauma and stress and not being in community with people has a huge effect on your terrain. How does that come into play? Yeah, I think this has been underplayed as far as like trauma, um, just you know, emotions and belief systems in general and how that can affect our health. It's so underplayed. And so we've done, we've done, you know, how well can you do studies on something as like as subjective as trauma and our belief systems. And so one study that's been done is adverse childhood events, which show the more adverse childhood events you have um, growing up, the more likely you are to have autoimmune disorders and be hospitalized for an autoimmune condition. And so this is just the tip of the iceberg, in my opinion. I do believe the body keeps score. I do believe that book is right. I think that our body holds on to trauma and it's stored in different organ, organs and muscle systems and our lymphatic system, especially. And um, it's almost like you can watch, you can learn a lot from animals if you're observant. You know, ducks or have, or you know, a bird might have something attack them, and if they are able to get away, even an antelope, it shakes it off violently because it knows you have that energy 
that adrenaline that's running through your body gets stored. There's a memory of that trauma that's stored in the body. And oftentimes this can affect our ability to trust ourselves, our belief systems later on, our ability to move forward and get traction even. That's so interesting. I literally this morning I was I was doing my Bible reading and it was talking about when Jesus sent out the disciples in groups of two to, you know, minister to people in the area. And he said, if if a town doesn't receive you, if they don't want to have anything to do with you, kick the dust off your feet. And it's so <laughs> funny because it's like, gosh, it's such good advice. Like literally like kicking the dust off your feet and like physically like shaking it off. Yeah, I love that. You know what I mean? It's it really it matters. You know, you can't just like go, oh, well, you know, that's fine and swallow it. It's not healthy for you in any way, shape or form. So what are some ways like physically if you do have trauma in the body? I mean, I obviously, you know, like therapy and things like that. But what are some like physical things if it's like in our body and stuck? How do you get that out? It's such a good question. That's the big question. A lot of people know what's there and they're like, I don't know what to do about it. You know, I don't. And that's great that you're right. At least the awareness is there, guys. So honestly, you want to look at um, lymphatic massages, breath work, because the breath moves the lymphatic system along. Um, You want to look at things um, like manual manipulation. So things like myofascial release with breath work, things like... um, you know, any sort of like, um, there's something called the flow presso that uses infrared heat and it's like a warm hug squeezing up the body, but you can, you don't have to use that. You can do rebounding. You can do dry brushing. Um, you can dance, dancing and sweating helps move the lymph system. And and dancing is something that helps us to return to our childhood and bring out our inner child. And, you know, you can't really stay mad and dance at the same time. It's really hard. Yeah. We we had a um episode with um Jenny from Thousand Hours Outside and she talks all about like the benefits of, of kids being outside, but we also talked about how it's important for adults. And she talked about a study um that found that people who danced regularly had like a fifty percent less chances of getting Alzheimer's. Oh, wow. No way. I just think that's so cute. Just people who just happened to dance didn't get it. And I'm like, man, there's got to be something there. Yeah, there is. That and like, think about it, like not living, living in um, those Leeds homes, the green homes, they had like 50% less falls too. So it's like the air they're breathing in and being happy and positive and not seeing the world through a fearful lens, which we've done a really poor job with our, the baby boomers and our parents' age. Um, You know, society's really terrified everyone. Yeah, I do feel like, though, that over the last two years with everything that's gone on in our world, I am seeing it was like a reset for so many people where it was like, here are the things that weren't working and how can we do better? And I'm just seeing such a huge like positivity movement and just people wanting to say, you know what? It shook something loose for me, and I don't want my life to be like that anymore. I want to do better. That's right. It's beautiful to watch. There's got to be some good that has come out of all of this craziness. <laughs> yeah, there is. You know, we have to, it has to get so bad before people see it has to change, I think. And that's my hope, you know, that we'll start seeing, you know, in the healthcare world is that people will start. I think a lot of people are asking questions. A lot of people are are adding things up and they're saying, this just doesn't make sense. That There are so many things. It's so funny. I was at a breakfast place yesterday and they had taken down the plastic 
sheet that they had around the cash register. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, now you're just, you know, open to all sorts of things. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, it's a good thing I have this cloth mask here to help me, you know, protect me. Oh, and my we gosh. Just, we were just joking about it because so much of it just doesn't make any sense, you know. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of just kind of going along and not asking questions. And that's why I love so much about what you're doing is you're saying, ask questions, like think critically, don't just believe what you're told, make sense of these things. Exactly. You know, like it's just a little bit of asking, it's okay to ask questions like dissent is your, your responsibility as a citizen. And it's okay to ask questions of the powers that be right now. Like, that's your job. That's our responsibility to not just accept and roll over. Like, your grandparents didn't sit, your great-grandparents didn't sit in a ditch somewhere and stare at a picture of your grandma so you can show some passport to buy food. Man, this is so great. I could talk with you just for hours. You are just such a wealth of knowledge. And, I mean, just, like, the fact that you can just rattle off all this information you are incredibly intelligent and it's amazing talking with you. Thank you so much, Noah. I'm really honored to be here. And you ain't so shabby yourself at asking the great questions. <laughs> well, like I said, I'm a homeschool girl and I'm <laughs> a researcher. And I just, that's, if I do nothing else with my kids, with homeschooling them, is I really want to teach them to just ask good questions and, you know, have good conversations, listen to other people's opinions and learn about each other, you know? That's really what everyone on earth needs to learn. So thank you for making the sacrifice out of your life to, to teach kids who, who are going to be great citizens. Oh, man, I hope so. I, I, man, my hope is that Jesus comes back before they become adults. <laughs> oh, right. Gosh, we have to go through all this nonsense we had to, hopefully. <laughs> we'll see. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. Of course, Noelle. Thanks for having me. 